Weeks sometimes after I did, you know, eat, we did snowshoe running. <laughs> Everyone's like, you run with snowshoes? I was like, yeah. <laughs> we did snowshoe running. I couldn't walk for three or four days. After. Literally, I was crawling to the kitchen to get my kids ready for school. I mean, they have stories of that stuff, of what that was like. Um, the fact that I even put them through that is, is ridiculous, but that was my sanity, you know, with all the stuff that was going on. That was my, my outlet was running. Um, so to me, it was worth it. <laughs> Hello, podcast listener. If this is your first time here, welcome to the Eat Half, Walk Double podcast, coming to you from the Ascend Endurance Coaching Studios here in currently powerless Stratford, New Hampshire, US of A. I'm your host, Chris Dunn. If you follow the show, well, thank you and welcome back. So this show chronicles my four decades in endurance sports as an exercise physiologist, coach, race director, and athlete, told through the stories of the important influential and interesting people I've met along the way. While I catch up with friends, colleagues, superheroes, villains, and the occasional family member, it's my hope you'll learn a little something about health, fitness, and the secrets to living well along the way. Kate Willett joins the podcast this week. Her rise to prominence as an ultra-distance cyclist has been nothing short of meteoric. In 2016, out of necessity, she reluctantly bought and started riding a fat bike. Five years later, she competed in the famous Trans-America bike race, riding 4,200 miles in 17 days, finishing second place overall and first female. That year, she was also the only person to complete the ride on an indoor trainer. Do the math quickly and you realize that's 250 miles a day on an indoor trainer. While that's mind-bending for most, Kate's life experiences have taught her that with a deep enough belief in herself and a commitment to do whatever is necessary, nothing is unimaginable. As any cyclist will attest to, a bend in the road is not the end of the road unless you fail to make the turn. Well, here she is, Kate Willett. Kate, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Chris. Hey, did you get some rest? A little bit. <laughs> So, so let me, so let me, let me, let me set that up a little bit and I'm going to have you talk about it. Um, so we're taping this show, uh, less than 24 hours mm -hmm. after you finished a 24 hour virtual ride. Correct. On your indoor trainer. Correct. Um, the, the podcast will be released sometime later, but just, just so the listener, uh, can, can get that context. Um, uh, the, the reason for my asking you the question, if you got some rest, because you, um, you had, uh, quite an epic, uh, last 24 hours. Uh, what, what was that like? What was, what was, what was 24 hours? What was 24 hours like on an indoor trainer? I, I have to say that was the hardest ride I've ever done. Um, even when I did virtual taper, like the Trans-American Bike Race, um, which was 4,200 miles. That was 17 days, 17 hours a day um, riding. So I did what, like 300 and some odd miles a day. It was, you know, and that was fine. I kept getting up and getting back on the trainer. Um, but being on it for a full 24 out in a cold, 
non-insulated garage was really hard. <laughs> um, the person I did it with, this was his third year. Um, and I said to him, probably 13 hours in, I'll never do this again. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So, so, uh, so, so help, help us understand what, um, uh, wh wh where was this ride held? In other words, what, what platform yeah. was it, was it held on? What were the, sure. what were the particulars of the ride? How many people were, were, were on the ride? And, um, you know, what, what, what were the rules, you know, related to, could you get off the bike and use the facilities or uh, give <laughs> yeah. us more detail about, about <laughs> sure. what, the who, what, when, where about this ride? Yeah. So, um, it's an actual in real life race as well. So it's Borrego Springs um, here. In and America, that's, in, that's in California, right? Correct. Yeah. Right. Yes. And it's a 24 hour race there on the actual road. And due to COVID, um, a lot of things have moved to virtual platforms and a lot of the racing has. And so I use Wahoo RGT and Wahoo RGT uploads the actual GPX files. So you're writing the actual roads. So when there is a 20% increased slope, you get a 20% increased slope with your smart trainer. It's not something that you adjust your trainer automatically does it for you. Um, so we were on the actual Borrego Spring Road virtually and you have it on your computer and you have a little avatar guy in there or girl and uh, you're riding around on Borrego Spring with the scenery and um, it's animated scenery. It's not the actual scenery. Um, it's very similar. And so you're riding around and anybody that has a smart trainer and downloads this program, Wahoo RGT can join in. So I had people from all over the world riding with me. Um, and I've been on this platform for two years, so I know a lot of people. And at one point, we had over 50 people riding on the platform. Um, at any given time, we had somebody pop in because they were live streaming it on YouTube. And when people saw the gentleman that was doing it with me, his name was Rob. When they saw Rob and I riding alone, they hopped in and rode with us. And you can teleport to us or you can try and catch us. Uh, Lord knows at the end of the last four hours, I wasn't going very fast. So that anybody could have caught up to me at that point. Um, but yeah, so we've got to ride with a ton of people, um, made new friends, made deeper friendships. I mean, there's something to be said when you're, when you're suffering like that. So it, it was great. Um, a lot of people had a lot of firsts and it was awesome to hear that, you know, that doing that inspired people to do a hundred miles that have never done a century before. Um, an imperial century and then people just doing you know metric centuries it's just it's amazing just the community getting together and jumping in and supporting so yeah. so anyone that had the uh has the wahoo rgt uh platform uh could have could have just popped on and 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 done some miles uh with you is it that that's what you're that's what you're saying yeah, yeah. yeah and they there's a talk feature in there some people <clears throat> couldn't even ride they just popped in and start talking which was really nice too. Got it. Yeah. Um, what was the, so I, I noticed that there was a, there was a chat feature. Was the chat feature a, just a, just a transcription of the, of the spoken word uh, into text or was there actually a text feature uh, there, chat feature as well? There is a chat feature within, and then there's also a voice feature within. So you can do either one or you can do both. So I had both chats going. I also had my YouTube chat going and then I had family you know, on my phone and I was updating almost every two hours on my Facebook. So I did a lot of 
social media with it too. So it was also physically, not just physically, but mentally tiring to keep up with all of that being on all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, probably a little bit of a, of a balance there, right? The the distraction of of being able to interact with people. um, I'm sure at times kind of help take your mind off of what you were doing, so to speak. Um, But at the same time, then, you know, the, the burden of having to, to continue interactions with people that really wanted to, to chat or, or support you. So what is, what are the rules with these sorts of things? What, I mean, literally, are you literally on the bike for 24 hours? Do you, do you get, do you get short breaks? How does that work? So we get to set that up um, virtually. We get to decide what that is. There's drafting, so you can draft. Um, there's if like every year, the gentleman that I was telling you that did it for three, three years in a row, Rob, first year, it was just to get it done, just to see how he could make it better the following year. Um, and then try and beat his time by making it more comfortable. He stayed on the bike more the second year. For me, it was just to get through just to support him. He was doing it again. And so for me, it was, okay, try and not get off for me. When I'm even in real world, I try to keep it to 10 minute breaks, then get back on the bike is is what I do. Um, So for me to help make it so that I didn't get saddle sores, I didn't, you know, um, come up with hot spots on my feet. I was every two hours changing my kit. So I changed my bibs. I changed everything, changed my socks, changed my shoes. And I was had three pairs of shoes to rotate through um, and kept them on a foot dryer. So I was doing that every two hours and it was probably, you know, I did most of it on the bike except for the bibs, obviously. So I'd have to jump off and do the bibs and the shoes and the socks real quick. So those weren't very long breaks. Um, If you had to go to the bathroom, you could run inside to go to the bathroom kind of thing. I didn't try to do any of that triathlete stuff (laughs) on the bike, (laughs) especially because you have your food there, right? So I had all my food laid out. Um, I was like, there's no way I'm doing that. Um, so yeah, so we had quick breaks, but I was probably about, I want to say about eight hours in, I was like, okay, I need my 10 minute breaks that I usually have. I need to do the stretching. I need to walk around a little bit, open the hips up a little more because I was in the TT position a lot. Um, time trial. Yeah. Sorry. Excuse me. Yes. The time trial position. So I was Hmm. right over the handlebars the whole time. Um, so it was, it was good to open things up. I was getting, the back was getting a little tight. The hips were. Um, so I ended up doing, I think, one 20-minute break. And then the rest were about 10 after eight hours. So uh, in the end, uh, how many miles did you ride virtually? I did a hun- uh, 400. It was like 100. I did 425 miles. 425 miles. Um, yeah. And what was, was, was that the... Was that the longest distance that you had uh, ridden virtually in one stretch? Yes, yeah. in one stretch, correct. Right, yes, right. Um, because you had done the uh, the, the Trans America bike race uh, in twenty twenty one that you know forty two hundred miles, um, uh, but that was broken up over seventeen days. Seventeen days, right? Um, yeah. So y- you might have put in a three hundred mile day. Right. Yep. Um, but no 400 mile days. <laughs> no. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> did, I, I suspect it, I mean, it probably goes without saying that, um, but 
you probably learned some really important lessons from that uh, that virtual Tabor um, that that uh, that you applied to this race. What is it, anything that comes to mind? Any any yeah any, any, yeah any any takeaways from that previous experience? Yeah, and I also put it into real life too. What I learned because that really was my first. I mean, I just got into road cycling when I did the Trans American Bike Race. Um, so. I only rode 200 miles prior to that, you know, the longest I'd ridden in real life. So, um, so that was something that I took with me when I just did the Land's End to John O'Groats in the UK. Same exact thing. I looked at it as not the whole picture, but every four hours, I just took it in four hour blocks and it was easier to break it down for me versus looking at, oh gosh, I've got, you know, 900 miles I've got to do, or I've got 4,200 miles to do. Um, I also learned that fuel is very important fueling. And I don't, I don't know why I've had such an issue with eating on a bike, eating before I work out eating. Um, you know, I've always woke up in the morning and worked out early morning ever since my children were really little. Cause that was the only time I had to myself, you know, was waking up at four in the morning to work out. And so that's what my body knows. And so I never ate. I just worked out. Then I ate when the kids woke up. And that's just what my body has done for 32 years because that's how old my daughter is. Um, so doing that is hard for me. Um, I've gotten better at it, but I'm not I'm not good at it. Like last night, I was forcing things down. Nothing sounded good. Nothing was appetizing. Um, and I didn't even keep up with I, I mean, the goal was every day and during the Trans-American bike race was 10,000 calories. Same thing for this. Didn't even come close. <laughs> Didn't come close. <laughs> yeah. I think, I mean, that's a, of course, that's a, that's an ongoing challenge um, and a perpetual challenge for uh, ultra distance athletes, whether they be uh, ultra distance runners or ultra distance cyclists is the, is the nutrition piece, you know, the idea of, replenishment versus replacement um you know the 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 foods uh that you might tolerate in a non-exercising state change in an exercising state uh, ambient conditions uh change our tolerance to certain foods we tolerate we, we we tolerate foods differently when it's cold versus when it's warm um the activity intensity can can affect our uh, tolerance to certain foods as well mm. um uh, so, so that, of course, that challenge is not, is not uniquely yours. We're going to talk more right. about, about nutrition because you've had a, you've had an interesting, uh, uh, journey with respect to nutrition as well. What I want to do, uh, right now though, is pause for a moment. And, uh, uh, for the listener who doesn't know Kate Willett, uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Oh, this is always such a hard, <laughs> a hard question for me. Um, I just, I'm just a, I say, I'm just, I'm a mother of two. Um, the kid, my kids, even though they're older, and as you know, they're, they're always part of our life and uh, always important. Doesn't matter how old they are. Um, so I have two children, 32 and, and 29, Monica and Duncan. And um, I've just, gosh, I say just got into, I think you're the one that got me into doing exercise stuff um 
like running and things like that when I was 24, 25. I can't believe I've known you that long. Um, so that's, so I love any kind of movement, anything being outside. So very active person and, um, yeah. And, and started my own nutrition business. So that's really just me in a nutshell. <laughs> okay. Um, well, let's, that's good. Um, <clears throat> because you, uh, you, you set up <clears throat> the outline that I wanted to follow, uh, really nicely. So let's, oh, <laughs> let's follow that. Let's follow that outline and, um, and pick up, uh, on that introduction of yourself. Um, uh, you, you mentioned that we've, we've known each other for, geez, I guess almost 24 years now, 23 years now. Mm -hmm. Um, <clears throat> let's talk a little bit about, uh, how, how you and I, uh, met. Um, you know, as I was, <clears throat> as I was thinking about that question, I have a horrible memory when it comes to these things. <laughs> Clearly I, I, <laughs> I, I know we know each other and I, I know the context with which we know each other. Um, but then when I start to drill down on the details, like what year we met, then all of a sudden things get super fuzzy, but, yeah. um, but, but you actually, um, my, my recollection was that we met in the early two thousands, but it actually could have been right around the year 2000, interestingly mm -hmm. enough, probably. Uh -huh. yeah. I mean, you would know because you know, when you graduated from the university of new England, mm -hmm. right? So, yeah. um, so we met in the early two thousands, uh, when, when you interned with me, uh, while a student, uh, at the university of new England. Now, what I'll say about that before I ask you a question related to that is that, um, if indeed it was around 2000, 2001 ish, yep, it was, um, that, that was, I mean, that was a year or, or two years or less, um, uh, um, of, of my time there. I, I had, I, I had only started working at, uh, Southern Maine Medical Center in, in 1999. So, uh, I hadn't been there for very long and I, and, and subsequently I, I probably, if you weren't my first student intern, you were one of the first student interns that I had, yeah. that I had. So, mm -hmm. um, I was probably super horrible at it, but, um, so my question no. is what, what, well, you know, I mean, we, we learn, right. As, as we go yes. along, I, I mean, I ended up spending 20 years there and, uh, hosted students that entire time. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, you were probably one of the, one of the first students that I hosted. What, what do you remember about that, uh, about that experience and about that time. Yeah. So, um, I heard about you through Bradley Brown, um, another UNE student who was a really good friend of mine. Um, and he was telling, cause I was like, I need to do an intern, but you know, I had two kids. I was a single mom going to school full time, working full time. Um, I was like, I need to do an internship. What can I do? And he said, well, you got to check out Kristen. He, I think, I think Brad was one of was the first intern you had. And, um, I was like, Oh, okay. I'll, I'll go check them out. So I put you down as what I wanted to do for my internship and I met you and I, I you know, I honestly don't remember that process. I just remember now showing up each week. Uh, I think it was twice a week. I showed up in the morning and we, um, that to me, um, that internship was more valuable than sitting in a classroom. Um, because we did cardiopulmonary rehab and I really enjoyed working with those patients that, um, mm. 
you know, we're on oxygen and we're coming off an oxygen because of the program that you were giving them and the program you put together for them. That was just so rewarding to see. Um, and the relationships that you yourself created with them, because I got to see that as an outsider. And, you know, it was great to see them come in and how happy they were. Um, so to me, that was a good um, segue into what I was going to be doing down the road. And just to see that satisfaction had, not that satisfaction, but the, um, you know, the progression that these patients were getting from the help in the program that you put, I was like, okay, so this stuff really does work. So it was great to, a great intro to saying, okay, we have more uh, control over our destination than we are told that we have. <laughs> well, <clears throat> and what I remember about, about you is that, um, you were, you were very eager to learn. You asked a lot of questions. I'm not saying you asked too many questions. I'm just saying you <laughs> asked a lot of questions, which is good. I mean, that's right. That's, yeah. I mean, for, for me, um, you know, I, I always, I'm sure you can appreciate this. We, we, we love talking about what we do. And so anytime someone shows interest in what we do, that's uh that's, that's a, that's a great thing. Yeah. Um, well, <clears throat> interestingly enough, um, our, uh, professional relationship, um, uh, ended up, um, sort of blossoming into a personal relationship with, um, my entire family. You mm -hmm. ended up getting, uh, you ended up getting, you spend a lot of time, uh, with my dad and, and my son, mm -hmm. um, hiking, uh, yeah. and, and, and not only my dad and my son, but also sort of their, their extended network, uh, of, of friends. And, um, at, <laughs> yeah. at, at one point, um, my, my, my dad and my son were, were seeing you and spending more time with you than I ever did. Um, <laughs> what, uh, what, what, what was that like? What, what do you, what do you remember about, about those, about those days of, of, of hiking with my, uh, with my dad and, and with my son? I have such fond memories. I think anytime I think of the mountains here, I think of them. Um, we've had so many great adventures. I have a book of all the 48,000 foot, uh, 48 peaks that I've done with them. Um, I've did more than half of them with your dad. And I did probably almost more about half of them with Brayden because it was a little bit before he started joining us. Um, but those two, um, they're so night and day, but it's just, um, you know, cause Brayden sits back. He's very quiet. Um, Jim loves to talk and him and I, we just could get a word in it. You know, we were always, cause I love to talk too. So, you know, Jim and I, poor Brayden, he was probably like, okay. You know, cause we had the ride up in the car. He had the whole day hiking with us and the ride back. <laughs> or, <laughs> or, or he was super relieved that he didn't have to hold a conversation with, with, with his, with his grandfather. Right. All he had to do is just sit and listen, exactly. which, yeah, which, which probably wasn't, wasn't a bad thing with him. Um, well, we'll, we'll, we'll also circle back, um, uh, to the hiking thing in, in, in just a bit. Um, uh, but I, I just, I, I, I always found that funny at some point is like, I'm like, wait a minute, she was my friend. And now, and now she's your friend. How did, how did, and then you're, you know, you're, you're having dinner at my parents' house. And I'm like, Christmas, what, what I happened? went for Christmas too. Yeah, right. I'm like, and, what, what? And this is, it's all, it's all great. I'm just like, what, I don't know what, I don't know what just happened. 
and just, I mountain bike with Brayden. You're like, I keep trying to get him to go with me more. So, you know, it's, it's, it's very funny. It's just, it's funny how that, <laughs> it's funny how that works out. Um, so, um, I asked you to send me, um, a little, a little bio just so that I could, um, um, start to pull together, you know, the concept of a, of a show <clears throat> and, um, and you did that. And as I was reading through it, um, uh, for me, um, as a, um, as an, as an observer, as a reader of your story, and I, and I, I knew most of your story, um, a theme sort of began to emerge for me. And, and, um, and this is, this is how I want to kind of take it from here. Uh, and that, that theme is, um, your story is overcoming challenges and struggles to achieve unimaginable goals. Uh, I mean, frankly, we, we just, we just talked about you riding 24 hours on your train or <laughs> 425 miles. Right. I mean, if that's not, if that's not unimaginable, Crazy. yeah, I don't, well, <laughs> if it's not unimaginable, I don't, I don't know what the defini definition of unimaginable is. So, um, you know, <clears throat> for some, for some folks, a 24 hour ride on an indoor trainer, would certainly fit the definition uh, of both a challenge and a struggle, um, but but your life experiences really have provided you with the context to put those types of things into perspective. You know, um, in order for folks to understand who you are now, um, I think it's helpful to understand how you got here. So let's let's talk a little bit about about that if you're willing. Um, of course. So you you had your daughter. Uh, I mean, you, you didn't, you didn't share how old you are and I, you're a proper woman. You, why would you tell anybody how old you are? But, but, <laughs> but you did, you did share that your daughter is, is 32 Correct. Right? and your son is 29. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you had your daughter when you were 14 and you mm -hmm. had your son when you were 18. Correct. Um, how did, how did that experience shape you? Yeah, that, um, I feel that that was the deciding factor in everything in my life. Um, just because I remember the day when I found out that I was going to have my daughter. <laughs> um, I remember what I was wearing. I remember I was standing. I remember everything um, about it because I come from um, a family that um, was very Catholic. So that was unheard of. I broke all the rules there. Um, <laughs> You know, so I just remember how angry my father was. I remember a family member telling me that I was never going to amount to anything being a young mom. Um, you know, so it was, I think that is what fueled me. Um, that always stuck in my head, like, oh, I've got to prove them wrong. Um, and it started with um, having the kids at such a young age. So their dad and I stayed together until I was 24, and it just wasn't working for us. Um, so we parted ways. And um, that's when I went off to college and raised the two kids pretty much by myself. Um, he'd have them occasionally. Um, but then, you know, I had, um, you know, three full-time jobs, college, work, and kids. It was a bit of a struggle at first. Um, I look back and I think, you know, being such a young mom growing, getting before I even went to college and having, you know, the kid's father was young too. Um, we were babies, <laughs> having babies. <laughs> it, it it was definitely um, a 
a challenge uh, to to provide for them first off, but also finish school. Um, you know, so I went to night school while he went to day school. And so we swapped off taking care of the kids that way. His mom was very helpful in that aspect too, helping us out to provide, you know, diapers and things like that, that babies need. Because <laughs> there's no way, you know, a 14, 15 year old and a 16, you know, he was 16, um, could work enough to pay for that stuff. So she kind of took us in and took care of us um, and helped us take care of the kids while we got our degrees. Um, so I graduated high school a year earlier because I, I went to night school and got it and I went through the summer. So I got it all done that way. Um, and then my first day of college was my son, Duncan's first day of kindergarten. So I put off going to college until he was older. So um, I was 24 when I went to college. Yeah. Um, of course, challenges, um, those weren't the only challenges that, that you faced as a, as a, as a young person. Um, in, in 1994, you were involved in a, in a serious car accident um, and suffered some significant injuries. In fact, I remember uh, when I first met you um, that um, you still were sort of dealing with with some of those those physical uh, uh, injuries um, uh, that 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 you, you you were still working to to overcome. Um, what 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 happened? So I was um, doing a diaper run. I had just had my son three months prior. Um, he was born in December and um, I was just doing a diaper run. And I, I believe I was actually picking up movies too. Um, Cause at the time we had blockbuster. Uh, so I, I pulled out and as I pulled out um, this lady hit me from the side. I mean, it was um, to the point where I was in total shock. I only remember bits and pieces of, them rescuing me. I saw the car. I was like, I can't believe I even survived of that. But um, of from that accident, I did have, I did, you know, fracture my skull. Um, but I also, the pelvis was what really um, stuck with me for a long time. I broke my pelvis on both sides. Um, so I had to stay in the hospital for a little while. And, you know, being young and having kids, um, their father had to move to Boston for a boxing contract because he was a professional boxer. I had to take care of this three month old baby by myself. Um, and I was told I wasn't supposed to walk. I wasn't supposed to do any of that. So, but how can you not, when you have two kids, you know, you've got a three-year-old running around and a three month old. I mean, how are you not supposed to, right? So I basically at the time, not knowing any better was walking and moving. Um, so it, it didn't heal properly. So those are the things that I kind of, you know, learned in that aspect too. When all that was going on is listen to your doctor. <laughs> when, it, when they say, let your body heal, you're supposed to let your body heal. Um, so that caused a lot of painful issues down the road. And what happened was when I got hit by the car, my both of my acetabulum joints the hip joint the ball and socket popped out and when it popped out it tore the labrum in there which is kind of you know what holds that ball and socket in and um 
so that got torn and, and damaged. But when it did that, that's when it broke my pelvis. Um, and so it was right around the foramens down at the bottom in, in, the, in the pubic bone. So that was where a lot of the pressure came from um, after the fact. It was any of the pounding, the running that we did, any of the hiking, um, that ball and socket moves. <laughs> so you're constantly having hip pain and hip joint issues um, from that. So that's kind of the pain that I dealt with um, for 19 years straight. I dealt with that. Yeah. Um, how, how did it affect your, your physical activity pattern? Because by that point mm. um, you had, you had started running. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so how did that, uh, how did dealing with that, uh, that pain and discomfort, um, how did that impact your, your recreational activities um, or your competitive activities? It, it really impacted it because um, I dealt with a lot of headaches too, migraines, bloody noses from it. Um, so, but nothing was wrong because I'd get MRIs and they said nothing was wrong um, with my head kind of thing, but my pelvis was twisted, you know, um, and then obviously from from the labrum being torn and all that, it, it, I, I couldn't walk for weeks sometimes after I did, you know, eat, we did snowshoe running. <laughs> Everyone's like, you run with snowshoes? I was like, yeah, <laughs> we did snowshoe running. I couldn't walk for three or four days after literally I was crawling to the kitchen to get my kids ready for school. I mean, they have stories of that stuff of what that was like. Um, the fact that I even put them through that is, is ridiculous, but that was my sanity, you know, with all the stuff that was going on, that was my, my outlet was running. Um, so to me, it was worth it. <laughs> um, there were times that even hiking that your father, Jim <laughs> was worried. Like I couldn't move one of my legs, my left leg. I had to like lift up my leg to get it to move, um, to get myself off the mountain. And he was, and he'll tell you, I didn't want anyone helping me. It, it's me. I deal with this. I put myself in these situations. I'm getting myself out kind of thing. Stubbornness, as he would say. Um, so those are the things, how it impacted everything that I did. There was always a chance that um, I wasn't going to be able to move very fast. There was always a chance that I wouldn't be able to walk sometimes for a week. Um, so, yeah, it had a lot of effect. Uh, the headaches ruined a lot of my social life because I couldn't go out and do things because it would cause bloody noses. Um, yeah, it was, it was rough times for sure. Did you, I mean, was there, was there ever a time that you, that you thought, you know, I maybe, maybe these endurance activities are just not for me. Maybe, maybe I'm not meant to run and hike and, uh, and do these things. Did you ever think about giving up those activities? No, I didn't. I, I did give up the idea of I'm never going to be first. I'm never going to be the best at it. Um, I did give that idea up. But the fact that um, that I was having fun and that I was competing with myself was definitely a motivator for me. Um, I, I loved the community and especially the community that you built with our racing team. Um, I loved that community. And I was like, I mean, I think I volunteered more than I raced, <laughs> true. but it was worth it. <laughs> it was really fun. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah. It's true. yeah. Um, the, the art of deconstruction is a process of taking big challenges 
and breaking them down into a set of small challenges. Now, you did something akin to this in 1989, right? For you, um, it was about taking the big challenge of what you describe as life's challenges and probably all of the things that you just described and breaking those life challenges down into various aspects of your life, including physical and mental health, your mindset, sleep, and your, your nutrition and stress triggers. Once you, once you broke these, you know, your life challenges down that way, um, from there for you, it was about analyzing and then implementing small changes Mm -hmm. to make things more manageable. When you looked at those aspects of your life that I just described, what did you discover? I discovered that I was running away from a lot of things. Um, (laughs) I think um, when you work on one thing, because it's all connected, right? We say that even about our body, everything's connected, but so is all of these aspects in our life. So when you work on one thing, you can't help but work on the rest. And for me, it was the mindset hit first and it all went back to that one statement from the family member of you'll never amount to anything. And I realized that that was why I was doing so much. I mean, I was, I was doing five days a week. I was, you know, working and then going to school five days a week, but then I was like exercising seven days a week. You know, it was, I was like, what are you running from? Why? You know, at one point, I think I was only sleeping, not at one point, most of my college life, I slept four hours and only four hours. I didn't sleep anything more than that. Um, so I was like, whoa, what are you doing? <laughs> I could not have been in a better um, field of study than that because of what I was doing to my body at that point. Um, so yeah, it was definitely an eye opener when I, I think it was more painful to say, oh, you know what, um, you're doing this because you were told this and you're, you're beating yourself up for this and all the decisions you're doing is because of this. And just to prove somebody wrong. So that was a huge, huge eye opener for me. And it's interesting because even now, all the work I've done on it, it still pops up occasionally. Yeah. Um, so um, so if you were if you were figuratively speaking, running from something before, mm-hmm. what are you running toward, or in this case, cycling toward now? What are you moving toward? now what how has your mindset shifted from moving away from something to moving towards something so it has shifted in that i'm doing this for me now and it feels good that i'm doing it for me and i'm not doing it because of the overhead or the lingering thoughts of uh, what it really comes down to is i'm not enough right so i've done a lot of that self self um, healing and work over the last 10, 15 years on that stuff. And so, um, I feel like it, it's gotten better. It's not as prominent. It does still sneak in occasionally, but for these, these are things that are, I'm doing for me and that, um, that I'm excited to do. And it's, it's not about bragging to anybody or I don't care if anybody doesn't even know about it kind of thing. Um, but now I have to, cause I have a sponsor. <laughs> 
<laughs> so it's kind of like I got to share it all now. Um, but to me, it's it's um, it's definitely the mindset of I'm doing it for me because this is what I enjoy and this is what makes me happy. Um, my kids are older, you know, so I can. My whole life was I don't want to say catering because it's not that's not the right way to say that. I it's caring for them. Um, and they were my main focus. Now they're grown, have their own families and, you know, their spouses. Um, it's time to focus on me. I didn't get to do that as a kid. I get to now. Um, so now it's, it's something that things that I enjoy, not something that I feel like I have to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's interesting, um, that you, um, that you approach, uh, a, a big challenge like the Trans America bike um, race or the the twenty four hour ride virtual ride that you just did that you um, that you that you use the, the the same you know art of deconstruction the same idea um, to to break a big challenge down to small manageable bites right um, you know it kind of reminds me of the expression you know how do you eat an elephant yeah <laughs> one bite at a time. Exactly. Right. Um, but it, but it can get very difficult or it can be, it can be very challenging for us when faced with, um, uh, an overwhelming set of challenges. Sometimes it's a singular challenge. Um, almost always though, is athletically, oftentimes there's singular challenges. We have a hundred mile race or a, or a 4,200 mile ride or whatever, wherever it happens to be. Right. But in life, those in life, th- these challenges are always multidimensional. They're always multifactorial. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can seem incredibly overwhelming at times. Life can. Yeah. Um, and so it's interesting uh, and not, I guess, not surprising to me that you would apply um, the, the same principles that, that helped you to kind of to help you to work through life's challenges. You would apply that same art of deconstruction to tackling a big physical challenge as well. Quick follow-up question, uh, though, to this, uh, 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 this idea of, 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 of breaking things down. Um, you know, so I asked you, you know, what, what, what you learned when you, when you looked at those different aspects of your life, the follow-up question is what, what, what small changes did you, did you, did you make? Do you remember any of the, the small changes related to, physical and mental health. You talked about mindset, but what about sleep and, and nutrition and stress triggers? What, what small changes did you make to, for those things to feel more manageable? I did a lot of, um, I I obviously did one thing at a time, excuse me, because of how busy I was. Um, basically, um, I've always had at least two jobs to make ends meet with the kids, you know, just having one income is tough. I mean, even now it is, but, um, you know, so for me, it was just focusing on one thing. And that one thing I started with was sleep. That was, I knew was the most important. It didn't matter if I ate well, it didn't matter if I worked out hard, if I didn't get the sleep, my body just wasn't going to heal. So, um, I, I focused on that and that was really tough. I mean, I, I got, I can't even, I've lost track of time too. Like I can't tell you how long I had slept for just four hours a day. Um, and it just knowing what I know now, all the damage I did, you know, it took a while for my body to heal from everything that I was doing to it. Um, so I, I started with sleep. 
And when I started with sleep, then I was like, okay, definitely the food, definitely need to start working on the food. And, and with the food, it, it took a long time. I mean, even to this day, I'm still healing from stuff and it's just adding different experimenting, um, being that, that N um, equals one, not the N plus one, like us bikers like to say, but N equals one. I like being my own um, guinea pig. I don't care what the studies say. For me, it's what does my body react to? I'm an individual. Everybody, that's why we're called individuals. Everybody reacts differently. So what works for me? And so um, sleep was first, then nutrition. And I'm still working on that, that change, your body changes. So that changes needs change as you get older, all of that, um, depends on how hard I'm working out for certain things, you know, all of that, but also mindset. And I'm constantly working on mindset and I find, you know, we are our own worst critics. And I think you would agree with that too. And the conversations that go on in our head, um, shouldn't be going on in our head. We should be more grateful for ourselves. Um, so I start my day off every day. I write, I'm a, I do gratitude writing and I'll do it for, you know, five minutes most. I start with three things that I'm grateful for in my life. And then I, I turn around and turn it on me because we can say what we're grateful for with anybody and everyone around us. But for us to do it for ourselves, it's hard. Um, we can't do that for it. We're better. We are better at beating ourselves up than building ourselves up. So I always start with three things that I'm grateful for, for me. And some days that's really hard. And so I always say, you know what, I'm grateful that I woke up. I'm grateful that I have eyes. I'm grateful, you know, like if I have a hard time with something, um, because I'm not feeling grateful for myself, I always start with something like that, you know, because not everybody can see, not everybody can use their hands. Um, so even if it on those tough days, just starting off with something like that. So mindset, um, is huge. And I'm always working on that because I find with a lot of the stuff that goes on around us, we do absorb all that energy. We do hear all of that. And I'm a big believer in just um, staying positive and what you put out there comes back to you. So, um, you know, we're just working on that mindset, especially this time in this day and age, we really need it. Um, so mindset came in to play and then it was more along the lines of finding uh, movement for my body that worked and that took a long time too um, so that I wasn't always hurt and I wasn't always, um, you know, like I felt like I was getting ahead and then I couldn't work out for, for a while because I wasn't doing the right movements for my body. Um, so that was uh, a, a journey of itself too. Mm. Yeah. Um yeah, you, you, you talk about gratitude and, and positivity. I mean, I, I think those are, I think those are two incredibly powerful forces that, um, that we choose to bring into our lives. Um, because we can, we can, we can very easily choose the opposite of those. And, and, and too often people do choose the opposite of those. Um, and I, it, it reminds me of the, the the law of attraction, right? The um, you you get back from the universe this the same energy that you project out into it. So if you project yeah. negative energy into the universe, you get you get negative energy in return. And I think of that in terms of outcomes as well. Um, and 
being positive is is 100% within our control. Nobody nobody can influence our ability to be positive or negative. We choose to be positive or negative. Clearly, yeah. um, there are times in which you know circumstances outside of our control can make can put us in a negative mind space. Yes. Um, but no one but but no one can force that upon us, right? We we right. still choose um, we still choose to to be positive or or the opposite of that. My favorite um, saying, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to. Yeah, no, no, go. I'm going to say my favorite saying is from Dr. Wayne Dyer when he said, if you don't like the way you look at, if you're not, if you don't like what you're looking at, change the way you're looking at it and it will change. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing the exact quote, but I love that, you know, like if you don't like what you're seeing, change the way you're looking at it. Um, and then the whole thing changes. <laughs> so it is, it is a choice for sure. Mm. Um. So you describe in 2013 that your your physical health was something you needed to address. Mm. Um, at that time, you were experiencing, and you you talked about the the migraines that I that I assume were related to the car accident. Um, uh, so at that time, you you were experiencing migraines, hives, and, and GI issues, mm. and you weren't really having any luck with traditional medical practitioners. So you began to look for answers. Um, um, by way of nutrition and uh, sort of applied trial and error to a variety of foods. Um, what, what did you learn during that, that time of, of exploration and discovery uh, as it relates to nutrition? Oh, that eating whole foods is the best way to go. I mean, after everything that I've tried, it's, it's all, oh, and, and meat is not bad. <laughs> <laughs> because I was a vegetarian my whole life, um, you know, and um, and I, I like calling them, and no offense, but I call my, called myself that too, a carbitarian. We ate more carbs than anything else. And, you know, it was, once I started eating meat, my body has never felt better. It's interesting. <laughs> um, but I, I you know, doing the work that I've done over the past eight years with clients and stuff, it's not, um, not getting people like you can't argue with a vegetarian or, um, more of a vegan that ethical, you can't ethical reasons. You can't argue that. Um, we'd like to, cause we're very strongly opinionated, but we can. So it's just showing them to do it a healthy way in the right way. Um, so, you know, I, I still help people with that, but it's not a strong belief of mine anymore. I mean, it wasn't always an ethical thing for me. It never was. It was more texture for me. Um, so I have a hard time understanding the ethical and I don't want to, I don't want anyone to feel like their, their feelings are wrong. So I don't argue with that at all, but, um, you know, teaching people how to do it the right way, because what I did was I ate a lot of, packaged stuff, <laughs> not necessarily what vegans should eat if you're going to do it the right way, like whole foods kind of things, um, things that are not in packages, things that are not processed. And I noticed that over time, you know, um, that's the best way to, for my body was I started with paleo. It was great, you know, like vegan paleo. And then it went to vegan keto and then went full on carnivore um, totally 360, right. You know, did a totally opposite. Um, so 
one of the things that I learned was processed was sugars, um, a lot of sugars, because there's a lot of that stuff hidden. Uh, learning how to read the labels if you bought boxes um, of stuff. I mean, I can't tell you the last time I bought a prepackaged thing. It, it just doesn't exist in my world anymore. Um, I've realized there's a lot of hidden things in that. So that was the biggest thing. And then obviously hitting the nutrition, the, the groups, uh, the, the macros, you know, um, making sure that you're getting everything that you need, uh, especially as athletes. You know, I think we're able to get away with it longer if we're not athletes, but eventually it'll come around. It'll get us. So you, you, you took your study of nutrition uh, to the next level when you were qualified in integrative nutrition. Mm -hmm. uh, for the listener who isn't familiar with the practice, uh, how would you describe integrative nutrition? We kind of look at the whole person. So um, we also we studied over 100 different types of dietary theories. So basically, it's just finding something that works for someone's lifestyle and what works for them. We we look at dietary needs with something that you want to do for a life, lifetime, not just quickly. And quickly is a diet. Diet isn't forever. Um, so we like to look at lifestyle changes and what is it that this person can do for a lifetime that's sustainable, not something that isn't sustainable. So that's one of the things that integrative nutrition looks at, but it also looks at the mindset. It also looks at movement. It looks at um, spirituality and whatever that is for somebody. Is it being out in nature, which is my spirituality? Um, is it going to church? Is it, you know, doing yoga, that kind of stuff, um, helping people find those along with the right foods that will help nourish them and look at it as a whole body experience versus just nutrition. Do you think, um, <clears throat> do you think it's healthy, um, psychologically, not physically, but psychologically, do you think it's healthy psychologically for people to have a food identity? In other words, when they describe themselves, they describe themselves as in other words, you're meeting someone for the first time, and at yeah. some point in this initial in this initial introduction, they introduce themselves as I'm vegetarian, mm -hmm. or I'm carnivore, or I'm paleo, or mm -hmm. I'm keto. Um, in your own personal belief, and 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 also your professional belief as well, because you 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 do you do work um, and and counsel folks with respect to nutrition. Mm -hmm. Do, do you think food identities are a healthy phenomena, mentally healthy phenomena? I don't. I don't. But I feel that um, it's become that way because when we go to restaurants, it's like, okay, do you have a vegan meal? Do you have, you know, a vegetarian meal? Do you have a paleo, a keto? Because even in restaurants now, it says keto. And one says, you know, paleo, keto friendly. Um, no, I don't think putting labels on things like that isn't healthy. It definitely isn't. It's just eating foods and getting the food that you need. And I mean, I get it. I get it too. Cause I say I'm carnivore. Um, and people are like, what's that? And I was like, well, you know, it's because anytime I just show up with meat, they're like, what are you doing? Kind of thing. <laughs> like, why are you eating that way? It's just, I think we've, we've labeled that and it, I've been trying to get away from that. 
Um, Cause I started that way too. I was like, Oh, I'm carnivore. I'm carnivore. And I think for me, it was just showing that meat does heal. It's not bad for you. And because I wasn't eating meat all my life. Now I am just letting you know, it's okay. Kind of thing. Um, I I've stopped doing that. Um, I don't like, I think you're right. I don't like the labeling. I feel we've had such a, a long history in the human race of just eating disorders. And, um, you know, I saw it a lot with people coming in because we're emotional eaters and people that I've worked with and putting labels on that doesn't actually feed that either. It doesn't help it. Um, it makes it worse. I think, um, just getting food in is what we need to do in the healthy food. Um, but labeling it. Yeah. I'm with you on that one. Um, it's not healthy. Well, I mean, I feel like, <laughs> I feel like of, of, of all the ways that we create tribalism in our culture, right? Um, we identify ourselves as R's or D's. We identify ourselves as, as Northerners or Southerners or however we yeah. label and, and identify ourselves. Um, uh, to me, it, it's never made any sense. Um, uh, it's never made any sense to... Uh, to, to adopt a food identity as a way to separate yourself from others, right? Because, because typically at the, and this is very much a, a generalization and I, I, I admit that, but, but generally at the margins of, uh, of eating practices are the, are the most orthodox folks. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, I, I truly believe that the majority of us are, are in the middle of the bell curve. Okay. But, but, but that said, and you know, this to be true, because maybe at times you, you resided a little bit in the margins of some oh, yeah. of these extreme, I'll call them orthodox eating. Absolutely. Patterns, okay. Yeah. <clears throat> that um, the closer we are to the margins, um, the more vocal we are uh, about our particular practice. Um, and it almost seems to me the more intellectually combative we are and protective we are, um, yes. that, that the people on the margins tend to tend to argue more with each other than the rest of us in the middle of the bell curve, nutritionally speaking. Right. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, did, did you find that that was true for, oh, yeah. for yourself? Oh yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. And, and you actually spent time sort of on both ends of that spectrum, right? From vegetarianism and veganism on one side of the, of the, yeah. of the bell curve to, to full on carnivore on the other side. So you actually have the unique perspective of having both. stood in, in, in both of those pairs of shoes. Um, yeah. did, did you, did you find and experience that yourself? I sure did. Yeah. Um, I was even being on the vegetarian vegan side of things. Um, I was almost afraid to say that I was on that side for, for how defensive they are. And I didn't want to be a part of that, that um, I didn't want to be labeled as that because I wasn't um, as strongly opinionated with it as they were. Cause even when I was doing that, I was still encouraging people to eat meat. It wasn't like, cause I wasn't eating meat. No one else eats meat. Um, but when I was doing the carnivore thing, what I think, because I was very strongly opinionated about that, I was speaking out about that. And 
I think the reason why I was doing that was to prove that I was wrong when I wasn't eating meat. Um, so that's, but it wasn't perceived that way. And I, that's why I stopped doing it. I was like, oh, wait a minute, this doesn't look right. This isn't sounding what I'm, I'm saying is yes, meat does heal and it's not bad. Like we've all been saying. Um, so, um, I stopped, <laughs> I don't, I still eat a lot of meat, but I don't, you know, it's like I'm carnivore, I'm carnivore. Um, I don't do that anymore for that reason. I was like, oh yeah, I'm very, very but I wouldn't argue with people to say, stop eating your vegetables. Um, <laughs> no, that, that of course sounds, that of course sounds preposterous. It does, doesn't it? Um, but, but interesting, it doesn't, but it doesn't necessarily sound preposterous uh, in the, in the opposite stance. In other words, when, when right. people, when, when, when vegetarians and vegans, um, argue the ethics of meat consumption, they're standing on very solid ground. I mean, you, Absolutely. you made that point earlier. I would also yeah. make that, that point earlier. Um, there is no, there is absolutely no argument to that. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm very much, uh, painting with a broad stroke brush there. Not, not everyone who practice vegetarian, practices vegetarianism or veganism um, is is strongly opinionated and argumentative and exactly. very protective Sorry. of their eating pattern. Yes. No, no, I mean, I, I perhaps categorized it that way. That is not the case. Um, but those that are, um, right, the, <laughs> the squeaky wheel gets the grease, yes. right? And so the, <laughs> the, the, the folks that tend to be the loudest about it are the ones that sort of garner the, the most attention. I'm glad actually that you, that you, um, that you mentioned um, your sort of, uh, public shift, uh, in terms of promotion of your carnivore diet. Cause I was actually, I wanted to ask you about that. I will ask you about that as a follow-up. Um, so, um, so in, as part of this exploration, um, this six or seven year nutritional journey, as you were, as you were trialing and, and, and error, erring your way through trying to figure out what worked best for you. Um, uh, and again, sort of, took your understanding of this to, to the next level, um, educationally as well. Mm -hmm. And so in 2019, you, you adopted a carnivore eating pattern, um, uh, for the listener that, and maybe it's, it's maybe it's self-explanatory, but <laughs> for the listener that's not familiar with what, with what a carnivore eating pattern is, I mean, what, what does that, what does that mean? Yeah. What does that mean? So, you became a carnivore. I mean, I think I know what it means. What does it mean? Of to you? course. Yeah. And I think, but I think it's hard for people to wrap their head around it because, um, what do you mean you don't eat vegetables? What do you mean you don't eat fruit? What do you mean? You know, like it, it's, it's not something that is common, right? So a lot of people just some, even to this day, just can't grasp that. They're just like, what? Um, so basically it's, it's eating your meat, right? So there's, like with everything else, which we don't like to label, but every dietary theory that's out there, there's a clean way to do it. And then I call it a dirty way to do it. There's, you know, I'm all about getting, you know, the maximum nutrients out of what you're eating. So there is a list that I have come up with, with through my own research and looking at the food and what's in it is, you know, like there's raw, raw, you know, oysters and um, you've got, you know, raw fish, the sushi, and then you've got your, you know, organs and who eats organs anymore. We've stopped doing that as most of us have stopped doing that. There's still some cultures that do. Um, so eating organs and then, you know, looking at 
eggs because eggs have always gotten a bad rap, you know, like, so those kinds of things is, is eating the whole spectrum of animal foods, not just one thing. And there are people out there that have just burger and bacon every day, <laughs> which to me isn't, you know, eat getting the most nutrients out of the food that you're eating. Um, so if you look at our ancestors and the paleolithic, paleolithic way of eating, they ate the whole animal, um, you know, and that's where they got all of their vitamins and nutrients from is that in a well-rounded, you know, they were hunter and gatherers and gatherers means they did eat occasional, you know, like tubers and fruit and vegetables that were around um, seasonally though, you know, and so, you know, it, so eating just carnivore for me was to heal because I was still eating things as a vegan not a carbitarian, but as a vegan, that I still wasn't healing. So I was like, oh, okay, so what is this one thing that I'm not eating? And at the time, it I think it was, gosh, I want to say it was about eight months of research of these people that were doing just carnivore. And I was like, okay, it was supposed to be just a 30-day thing. And I started healing really quickly. I can't, you can just imagine, I mean, all that protein that our bodies need as athletes, right? So my body just started healing quickly. And so basically it's just, for me, it's getting the most nutrient dense meats and animal products. So lots of raw oysters, lots of organ meats, um, and steaks and burger and eggs is really what I eat. Um, I've since started adding things back in. I feel that yes, my body has healed. So now I will like, um, the other day I ended up having, um, it, it was the wrong thing to have, but where I'm working, <laughs> they had brought in some cookies and I had a bite. I haven't had sugar or grains and I can't tell you how long. I was, hor literally it was just a bite. I felt horrible for two days after, um, not the thing to be adding back in, but, um, you know, like I'll, I'll do a couple bites of things throughout the last couple of years to see if I can eat it. Um, sweet potato my body didn't like white potatoes it was fine you know like so there's things that i'm able to start adding back in and when i have a reaction it's not as severe as it used to be not the bloody noses or the migraines and the you know upset stomach um so it's healing and i don't plan on eating this way for the rest of my life it was just to heal <clears throat> and so I did it with some, a handful of my clients that were not healing through food. So I don't work with just athletes. I work with people that are really ill as well. Um, so I would give them, you know, certain ways of eating to help them, whatever it is that they needed. And there was a handful that just was not getting better. And so I tried putting them on this way of eating and they did heal. So it's not for everybody. And it's not something I would recommend everybody to go out and do. That is not what I'm about. And that's why I got quiet with what I was doing. I wasn't advocating that everybody should eat a carnivore diet. Um, it's great for healing. And it's not something that we should live with for the rest of our life. I feel like, um, you know, we should have variety. Um, how much of a role do you suspect inflammation played with respect to your uh, carbohydrate intake generally or some of your carbohydrate choices specifically? Oh, a lot. Um, 
But I also think a lot of that was, it stemmed back to, I think it's a history of things, right? I don't think it's just one thing in particular. When I was younger, I was always sick. I was always on antibiotics. Um, so what do we know about antibiotics now? It kills even the good bacteria, right? So I feel that- In your you gut. Know, in our gut, yeah. So I feel like I had a lot of dysbiosis in my stomach all these years and it was never taken care of. Um, so I think that it was what the stem of it was. Um, and dysbiosis is just a, your bacteria and all the, the stuff in your stomach is off kilter, basically, is what that is, just to put it in layman's terms. But um, I think that was the start of it. Not sleeping <laughs> certainly didn't help with that. Um, and I think that then you throw carbohydrates on top of that, you know, eating more carbohydrates than anything. And of course I was eating a lot of beans and stuff as a vegetarian and not having the stuff in my gut to break it down properly. Um, I think was the problem. Um, a lot of that was the issue. I think, um, processed carbs was the other, you know, more, um, you know, there's good bread you make at home and then there's bread that you get in the supermarket, you know, and I was never a big bread eater anyway. So I really can't use that as an excuse, but I was definitely someone who loved pasta, someone who loved rice, <laughs> you know, like those were my staples, um, eating cause it was quick to make and easy to make and cheap. Right. And being a single mom, that was what fit the budget. Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, particularly particularly nowadays, where um, uh, where, where meat uh, is some of the most expensive food products in in the grocery store, um, I, I suspect that being a carnivore uh, in our Western culture is easier than being a vegan. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm sure there are challenges to that uh, to that eating style. Again, you've mm -hmm. had the unique perspective. Um, of working through the challenges um, of of living in this Western culture and being a, a, a vegetarian and vegan and also uh, being a carnivore, um, people might not people might not um, um, be able to identify what some of the challenges yeah. are for a carn a carnivore living in a Western culture because it would kind of seem like it would be a pretty easy thing, but were, were there any challenges to, to, to living a carnivore lifestyle in this Western culture? There, it was, I mean, I don't think no one batted an eyelash. It, this is interesting. When I was out in California, when I went to go visit my son, Duncan, he lived in LA, we went out there and we ordered burgers, no buns, no veggies, nothing. We didn't get looked at like, what's wrong with you? Like, what, what do you mean? Like they didn't ask, they just served it to us, which was interesting. Um, here they look at you like, okay, so what are you allergic to? And it's like <laughs> everything. So just bring just the meat <laughs> and they have a hard time with that. I still get lettuce on it and I still get a tomato on it and I still get, you know, I don't like to waste is the problem. And so, um, but it's very rare that I go out to eat because when I, when I decided to go um, to eat meat and to put meat into my diet, I only do farm locally farm raised meat. I don't go to a grocery store and buy the food in the grocery store. Um, I support local farmers to do that. And um, so that is kind of the premise that I go off. And it was rough 
um, when I went to the UK for two and a half months, but all of their food isn't raised like our animals here. They're not in these massive farms. So, and they're free roaming, which is great. So I was, that was the only spot that I was like, okay, I will make the exception to the rule. Um, so yeah, they're not in huge feedlots like they are here. Mm. Um, I guess we talked about it a little bit, uh, before, but I, I just kind of want to put a little bit of a bow on it. You know, after, after, after becoming a carnivore, you were, you were really public about it on, on social media. Um, at that time, um, why was it important for you to share that experience with others? I mean, I think you, I think you alluded to it a little bit, but, but, um, but sort of, Bring that full circle, solidify that that for me. Why why be so public about your carnivore eating pattern at that time? Yeah, I because I, I was totally wrong in the fact that um, all those years of not eating it, it was, <laughs> you know. Um, you were totally wrong for you. Is, for me, yeah, yes, okay. yes, sorry, yes, yeah. for me. Um, and I was, I was saying basically my message was it's not, we shouldn't vilify it as vilify it as bad as it has been. I mean, it, it's gotten such a bad rap. Um, and for me, it was like, okay, you know, this is the best thing that's happened to me. I mean, I think every step that I took in my nutrition history, I've gotten better and I've healed everything that I've done. I've gotten better. It was just one more element, one more element. Um, so I was, I stayed away from that it was a last piece. And I was just like, I'm not doing meat. I'm not doing me. And, um, I did. And I was like, wow. And it's interesting, like how satisfied my body felt when I had it the first time it was the weirdest feeling. <laughs> I was like, wow, my body's been craving this for how long? And I've denied it this long. Um, so I think, you know, for, for me, it was just to say that, it is not as bad as everybody says that it is as bad as I say that it is. I said that it was, I mean, I never preached that to anybody because like I said, when I had clients, if they were eating me, I would just encourage them to eat clean meat, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, it was an eye opener for me, how healing it can be for people, for some people. Um, you you had an interesting nutrition related experience at the Trans North Georgia race, the T N uh, or T N G R race. Uh, T N G A. Yeah, T N G A. Um, in uh, in August of two thousand and twenty one, right? So the, um, the, the, the this Trans North Georgia race is this. It's a three hundred fifty mile three day off road. Uh, bike race that goes uh, along the northern uh, edge of Georgia, correct? Yes, that is yeah. correct. The length of the state of Georgia. Yes. Um, uh, so, but but you, you had a really interesting nutrition-related experience there, right? So that 2021, you were two years. Uh, I think you said at that at that point. Um, um, uh, the day of the of the TNGA race that you uh, you were 743 days carnivore mm -hmm. at that point right two, two, yep. two years or so two years yeah carnivore um, but you had an you had an interesting experience at that race um, and I wonder yeah will you tell us a little bit about that experience and and uh, did you have an epiphany 
at that race? Yeah, so um, <laughs> it was, um, I, I, I stayed at this place, um, Mulberry Gap, and they were very kind. They like catered to everything that I needed as far as I ate. We spoke ahead of time. The cook there, Donna, was amazing. Like she created things for me that I never, never knew that I would, I could make. Um, so things that were backpackable and I could take with me. Um, but in that lodge, uh, this woman, Kate, who runs it, she said to me, she's like, you're going to be on a ridge. You need to take something with you because there's not going to be any food to stop in <laughs> and get. And um I was like, well, what do you mean? And she said, you know, get some bars, take some bars. And so I was looking at all the bars that they had in there and there really wasn't a lot of healthy ones, but I did have um, some bars that my sponsor gave me that I took with me. And so I took a couple extra of theirs and the ones I grabbed were the best that they had. And it was some cliff bars. Um, <laughs> so I found ones that didn't have is this the, what you're alluding to this, this portion of that? Okay. Mm. So, um, so I took them with me and I had them in my bag and that we got stuck on that ridge for 20 some odd hours. Yeah, it was about 20 some odd hours. And at this point I had no food left and we we're out of water at this. I mean, I carried a filter and was getting them in the streams. Thank God it, they just had a whole bunch of rain, but we had a uh, stream I used my filter to fill my water bottles. Um, it was very hot that year. And I just remember being up at the top and I was, that's all I had left. And I still had quite a ways to go. And I was like, I have to eat something. Um, so I ate uh, one of the, the bars. And at this point, it wasn't enough nutrition for me. I needed more. So I ended up eating a couple of them. I ate one, <clears throat> excuse me, I couldn't find the trail. <laughs> so I had to lay in, in a bivy for a couple of hours with coyotes going off around me. It was so scary. So I laid there till daylight and it was only a couple hours for the sun to rise. So I just laid there and waited and sure enough, the trail was right there. So I ate a couple more before I took off and we were a whole day on that ridge. Um, and it took a while for me to get down. So when I finally got down, at that point, I didn't have any food left. I had eaten the bars and I was so sick from the bars, um, the grains, the sugars that I haven't had in a while. Um, that was something that was awful. I had hives, headaches. I mean, it was, it was horrible, not a way you want to finish your race. And I think at this point, once I came off the ridge, I had just a little over 50 miles left. Um, so, and I didn't know how far away I was from the gas station. And at that point, when I got to the gas station, I was like, I need everything and anything, <laughs> you know, like give me whatever there was. I ended up getting a burger there. That was not even a farm raised, <laughs> farm raised. I ate a burger. I ate a hot dog. I mean, you name it. I was eating, um, but I was sick for a while after eating that stuff. Um, you know, like the, the bars and stuff did not agree with me at all. So, yeah. So, uh, extemporaneously, um, so I, I went back and actually read your social media post from maybe the, 
the day after, whatever it was, you were recounting the experience. And, um, and the last, so I want to pick up on, 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 on this and ask you about it. The, the last line uh, in your, um, your report of your experience, right, in the moment or shortly after the moment, you said, uh, once my body has healed from this bump in the road, you said, I do, and you, you, you wrote do in all caps, D-O, I do plan on adding certain food items back in, right? So my, my question is, um, what, what was it about that experience, right, um, at, um, at, this, at this race that um, sort of led you to this thought epiphany. that I, yeah, that <laughs> epiphany that, um, um, that I, I need to start adding some things back in. What, yeah, what, what happened I, there? <clears throat> excuse me. If I wanted to continue on doing these kind of endurance rides, I mean, I really love these multi-day self-supported rides. Those are the things that I love the most. Um, <clears throat> I do these because I want to be challenged mentally and physically. So that's why I like these long endurances. Um, so for me to be able to do that, I need to be more flexible with what I can eat. Um, and I feel that if I can find the things that I can eat and have minimal reactions to them, it's going to be a lot easier for me. And at that point in time, I don't think I was still having some, some inflammatory issues. Like, um, it was pretty evident. I still had some inflammation. Think about all those years that I did all that damage. It's going to take a long time for my body to heal. So it's healing. And I know that I'm going to be able to add things back in. And I know, and, and I'm still like, I'm still trying to add certain things back in. And, um, there's just some things I think I have that I, would love to have. I don't think I'm ever going to be able to, you know, anytime soon, maybe later on, but right now, not anytime soon. But I think it's one of the things we have to understand is even though we feel good, doesn't mean our body's still not healing. And so I just need to give it a little bit more time to heal. So like I'm eating avocados again, I'll have cucumbers now, you know, like, so things are getting added back in. Um, <clears throat> So I think that was my epiphany is that, yeah, I need to have more versatility and things that I can eat if I'm going to do these to survive <laughs> and to survive without, um, without being in pain and without, um, not so much being in pain, but being miserable and feeling awful, you know? Um, so I definitely have to have to do that. And I think making that stuff on my own is going to be, you know, like the, you can buy the little pouches and maybe I can put sweet potatoes in there and, you know, avocados and, you know, like making my own concoction and not necessarily eating the sugars and the carbs, but making my own stuff. And there are ways around doing that. So I just have to figure that out. Hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, that, and that was, that was kind of the, the, the gist that I got, um, from you at that time. Um, let's talk about your business. Um, so in, in 2017, your, your health and fitness journey led you to start your own business. Uh, tell us about Kate for wellness. Yeah. So, um, I personally did it for myself to heal and 
at the time, the gentleman that I was with, it was a chiropractor and he was doing nutrition talks as well. And he's like, why don't you just do my nutrition talks? And I was like, okay, that's great. You know, what better way to share what I'm learning? So I was doing that. And then um, his patients were like, well, can you work with me kind of thing? And I was like, oh, I guess I can because I am you know, certified to do that. So sure. And so I started doing that. And I also started working with a, a lot of other people in the area, mostly naturopathic doctors. Um, some people just found me through word of mouth kind of thing. Um, so I started doing that and realized, okay, this is something that I really enjoy doing. Um, but to to get people to understand it's not going to be just nutrition was hard because I feel that if we're going to work on things like that, we have to work on other things as well because the people that were coming to me were not athletes at the time. They were people that were sick. And, um, and I feel that when you were in those kind of circumstances and health issues, we also have to have a positive frame of mind. And I feel I'm the same with you, law of attraction, and keeping that positive frame of mind is what helps pull us through when we're working on all of those things in our life, nutrition, spirituality, all of that. And so I selling it that way was hard. Um, it ended up that a lot of people started coming to me just for mindset coaching kind of thing too, not just nutrition, because they found because um, we're such emotional eaters, if you think about it, our whole history as humans, we revolve around food, everything that we do, all of our gatherings, whether they're gatherings or sad gatherings, it's all about food. So we have this emotional attachment to food and to get people to understand what those triggers were, why they were reaching for certain things. You have to dig a little. And, um, and some people didn't want to do that work because some of it is deep <laughs> and, and, we have to be ready to do that. And so for me to tell people that um, it was a shocker, I didn't sugarcoat anything. I was like, well, you know, it's not just nutrition. We're going to work on a lot of these things. And, and some people are like, oh, I definitely need that. Um, so it was, it was a rough, rough at first to figure out how I was going to sell this to people, you know, and I say sell this, but approach people and say, okay, this is what we're going to be doing. Cause some people are like, Oh, I don't even want to go there. I don't want to touch the deep dark stuff. Um, and some people are like, Oh, I'm missing that. I want that. So, um, so we do touch on more things than just nutrition and now working with athletes, it's definitely a mindset is huge for them. And working on mindset has been one of the biggest things and um, for the athletes, because once we figure that out, the food falls into place. Um, so it's all connected. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's said that, um, that great coaches are great teachers and that um, uh, great coaches teach habits, you know, players execute on the playing field. Mm -hmm. right? Um, yep. both, both literally and figuratively speaking. Um, but, but coaches teach habits. Yeah. So what, what habits do you teach your clients? 
see, it's never the same for everybody, but the big habits are, you know, putting them first, putting themselves first and whatever that is, is it at this moment in time, they need to work on mindset. It's always different. It's always shifting. Um, teaching them how to put themselves first and letting them know that they're worth it is huge. Cause a lot of the times, especially moms, they don't feel like they can put themselves first. Cause if they do, they're looked at as being selfish. And one of the things I like to let them know is if you're not a hundred percent, you can't be there a hundred percent for them, you know, so you have to put yourself first. It's not being selfish. And I think it's been painted that way over time. If um, a mom doesn't put their family first, then they're a bad mom kind of thing. And I think they're, they're able to show up better for their family and for work if they put themselves first. So it's, it's teaching them that it's okay to do that and making time for themselves and carving time out, even if it's five minutes in the morning to do the gratitude writing or, you know, just to listen to a meditative, you know, some binaural beats, which are like frequencies, um, you know, something along those lines, just five minutes is amazing because then that five minutes turns into 10, turns into an hour. Um, so just getting them to do that first is the key. And, and if it's food, then it's okay. Setting time aside to make yourself successful for the week. Is that food prepping, you know, setting time aside on the weekend to do some food prepping, teaching them to make those habits, um, you know, teaching them movements, you know, like making those, but I think all that just comes down to worthiness and feeling worthy enough to do that stuff for themselves. So basically, you know, making that time. Yeah. Um, Without without sharing a name, um, uh, do you want to share a, uh, a a particularly powerful success story of 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 one of your of one of your clients? Again, you don't you don't have to name names, but yeah. Um, nope. do you, do you, would you be willing to to share a success story? Yeah, I have many. Um, the one that sticks out the most, the most recent one. Um, and, and yeah, no, I, I, I can't say names anyway, right? We're not allowed to do that. Um, but um, this one woman that I was working with, um, she had been going through quite a bit. Um, and I don't, I'm not saying this to bash allopathic at all. I'm not, she's just been through the, the whole medical spectrum and they couldn't find anything. So they, all they wanted to do is throw pills at her. And she came to me with like 20 different kinds of medications. And she was uh, stage four cancer. Um, and she's like, I'm just tired of taking all these. I'm tired of people telling me, you know, here, take this versus finding the root cause of it. And so I, I ended up sitting with her and first off helping her through those struggles. And I think that was, she just wanted to be heard. I don't think she was feeling she was being heard first off, but I think the, the emotional and the mental aspect needed to be dealt with first. And so we took care of that. Um, and then we started changing the way she ate and she no longer has cancer. She's been in remission for a year just by changing the way she didn't go through chemo. She didn't do radiation. She didn't do any of that. And it was just the way that she ate and changed her lifestyle. So it wasn't just eating. It was also making time for herself, changing her mindset, finding spirituality, whatever that meant for her. Because when you find that, that brings joy, which brings positive thoughts. Um, 
you know, so for her, that was being out in nature, sitting on the ground and just listening to everything that was around her. That was her spirituality. Um, so helping her find those was the best, you know, um, it's kind of like going back full circle, what we were talking about when I was working with you and watching these patients come off in their oxygen because of the program that they were on. You know, um, I get, I got that with, with my clients too, and especially this one. And it was so gratifying to see it. You know, she put the work in, she did the work. Um, she was ready to, so therefore she was able to make it make a routine out of certain things. And it was one thing at a time, Chris, we, it's not like I gave her a list of things to do. I worked with her for a year, you know, so it wasn't like, here's what you can eat, what you can't eat. You know, we picked one food item started there. How did her body react? We picked another food item after that. She felt like that was under control. We picked another food item, you know, like, so we just slowly built on it. It wasn't all of these things at once. Um, when we felt we had, her mindset under control, that's when we did the nutrition, you know, so everybody's different. Sometimes I just start with nutrition because some people don't want to do the emotional thing. And then eventually it comes up and then we start addressing it. Um, yeah. And you're, so different. you're, you're, and, and that's, an, that's, it really is an amazing story. Um, but you're not suggesting that, um, um, that your, your methods and techniques can cure cancer, right? That's no. your, that's not that you're not just for no. clarification. You're, no, you're no. not suggesting that that's the case. And you're that's also, I, I presume you're also not, you're not anti-Western medicine. You wouldn't nope. tell. A that's why I said patient, that. In the beginning. Yes. You wouldn't, you wouldn't <laughs> tell a cancer patient to stop chemo or, or radiation and just treat it with nutrition and spirituality. Nope. Just just nope. for clarification. I mean, yeah, I, nope. I know you wouldn't do that, but just, I want to give you the opportunity Thank to you. Just, just clarify that. Appreciate that. Yeah, no, I definitely wouldn't say that. And I think it's, um, it's, it's helping everybody where they're at, where, where they're at, the route that they want to take basically is, is my main goal is meeting them where they're at and helping them get there the safest and healthiest way. Well, I think, I mean, I think, I think really the, there are any number of important lessons there, but one of the important lessons is that um, that as consumers of healthcare, people should understand that they are their own stewards. Um, uh, I mean, I, yes. I, I, perhaps, perhaps a, a generation or two generations ago, it was, you know, whatever the doctor said, that's what I'm going to do because yeah. because he's the doctor, and of course he knows more than I do. And why would I question the doctor? Right. Um, I think. I mean, I think our generation, um, uh, you know, is um, is is one in which we naturally question everything. And I don't. I don't. I don't think that's a negative thing. I think it's. Mm. I think it's healthy to to question everything. Uh, I mean, I had the, the good fortune to work in healthcare for, uh, you know, for 30 years or so. And, um, um, if there was one thing that I, I learned in all my time in healthcare is that, um, Western medicine does not have all the answers. Um, uh, and, um, you know, when, when everything, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Um, and so, um, I, I, I do appreciate, uh, 
personally and professionally and value uh, complementary practices. Um, uh, you know, in, 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 including all of the, the things that, 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 that you describe. Um, so, um, so how do people, how do people find out, uh, more about Kate for wellness? Where do they, where do they go to learn more about you and about your business? Oh, well, thank you, Chris. Yeah, they can, my website is the best place. Um, cause it has all my contact information on there too. And that's K the number eight wellness, oh, excuse me, K number eight, number four wellness.com. <laughs> Sorry. I'm still not uh, fully awake here. Um, so that's the best place to find me. It has all my stuff on there. Even my sports bio, like all the fun stuff that I've done is on yeah. there too. Um, yeah. My yeah. history, my health yeah. history and cool. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of fun. Um, Thank you. All right. So I, I want to finish with one one last segment of the show. That's a, a, a fun segment of the show that I like to call three random questions. Oh, OK. okay. <laughs> um, but before I do that uh, and 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 um, so that I don't forget, um, do you want to do a shout out to uh, any of your sponsors? Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yes, I would love that. Um, so Element T, Element, um, Drink Element is one of my sponsors. I absolutely love them. They have a clean product. I'm very big on that. Um, the other one is Ancestral Supplements. I love them too. They have all kinds of good, um, good clean products there where they don't have any fillers, no, no rice, no, you know, all that other stuff. It's just dehydrated animal parts <laughs> in a capsule. That's all it is. And then the other one's Paleo Valley. Um, Paleo Valley is a great clean uh, jerky. The, the way that they do their jerky is they ferment the beef instead of using all the other preservatives in there. So they've got some good clean meat and some good broth, broth bars, protein bars. Um, yeah. And uh, also a, um, a wonderful, um, like a vegetable, um, like a super green that you can mix in water or in your shakes. That is really clean too. So yeah, thank you for, for that. I appreciate it. Uh, what about Trek? Tell me about your relationship. Tell <laughs> yeah. me about your relationship with Trek. Did, did, did you, did you purposefully, unintentionally? I uh, didn't know if I should say that. You, um, so yeah. Say, well, I don't know. It's my <laughs> podcast. You can say whatever in the okay. heck you want. So Trek, yes. Um, so Trek has, um, given me a bike every year to take on my awesome adventures. And, um, and I approached our local trek store here and i thought it was just going to be a discount when i offered when i went and spoke with them about doing um some sponsorship for me and half hour later he's like yeah um let's size you up and i'm like wait, wait what are we doing <laughs> and he's like we're gonna give you a bike and i was like oh my gosh really and so um they gave me because i got accepted at unbound gravel xl which is one of the biggest, most sought out gravel races here in the US. Um, so one of their bikes that they built, the checkpoint is for Unbound, was for Unbound, built for that. And so I got a checkpoint and um, and I rode that on my Unbound Gravel Excel, which was great. And um, I didn't get to finish that race, unfortunately, because I crashed and got a concussion, but I found out on the 20th, so the day before I did this 24 hour ride, literally before I went to bed, I got an email saying I got in again this year. So 
I am going back in 2023 with some business on my checkpoint <laughs> to finish the race. <laughs> that's that's very cool. Um, and you're the I first will, to hear. Will, there you go. Breaking breaking news <laughs> on the Eat Half Walk Double Podcast. Well, I'll have to have you back on the show um, after that uh, awesome. to to talk about that experience. Okay, on to on to three random questions with Kate right. Willett. So, um, first thing I need you to do for uh, the listener is to verify that you have not received these questions in advance. I have not. I have so not these are, received these. These are truly th three random questions. Okay. I'm nervous ready? now. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I'm ready. Well, th <laughs> this is always it's always fun to 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 watch people uh, think quickly on their feet. Okay. Okay. So it's uh, my first answer. Is that yep. what you're looking for? Okay. Yep. Here we go. Uh, all right. So here's your first random question uh, for Kate. We'll let Kate. Uh, what is your N plus one? Oh, it has to be my boon. A Trek boon. Okay. So, um, Do you elaborate, please. What, okay. what, 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 so, so for the listener that, and you alluded to it earlier. So, um, in, in cycling nomenclature, uh, yes. there is this, uh, unwritten formula or it's written formula, um, written. that, that, um, the, the exact number of bikes that a cyclist should own uses the equation n plus one and which in which n is the number of bikes you own plus the plus one, one bike you don't own right so in other words <laughs> exactly. the cyclist is, we, we we're always one bike short of what we actually should have so yes. uh so you said the the trek boon that is your that is your plus one that is my plus one um there are many others but the next one the one is going to be a boon and that is my um xc bike yeah Ah, so XC stands for cross country bike. Yes. Yes. And now I thought, I thought the Trek Boone was a, it was a gravel bike. Uh, no, the uh, checkpoints are gravel and the, the checkpoints is the XC. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and that is a, uh, that's a full suspension rig. That's a hard tail. What, what, it's what is the Trek? Tail. What is the Trek Boone? The, the Trek Boone is um, basically <laughs> It's basically a checkpoint as well. It looks like you can use it as a gravel bike as well. The only difference is the frame is a little bigger so that you can okay. kind of throw it over your shoulder kind of thing. Okay. All right. So that, okay. So this is, all right. So this is where you were confusing me, right? Because <laughs> I know the Trek Boone as a cyclocross bike. Yes. I, I, I've had, I've got a, I've got a buddy. I've got a buddy, Kevin, Kevin Tilton, who I swore he, one of his, one of his first bikes was a Trek Boone. And of course, Kevin it is will, a cyclocross. Yes, it Kevin is. Kevin will text me after he listens to this show to tell me that I was, uh, it wasn't him that I was thinking of, but I, I thought the Trek, <laughs> I thought the Trek Boone was a, was a cross bike, cyclocross bike. It's a cyclocross. Yeah. But it, uh, so there's a gravel bike and a cyclocross, right? And um, you can use those boons in the, um, the XC races too. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. but the checkpoint is a gravel bike. Yes. So what's the difference? Between, all right. So what, now you're getting greedy now, now you, now you want a second <laughs> gravel bike, which is actually pretty funny, right? Because, because gravel bikes as a bike category are a relatively new thing. Okay. Yeah. In other words, the first, the first gravel bike that I started riding was my aluminum, my original aluminum cyclocross bike <laughs> yes. that I turned into a gravel bike when I upgraded my cyclocross bike to a full carbon <laughs> cyclocross bike. I had this aluminum cross bike. Um, the, uh, um, uh, what was it? 
it was the um, giant uh, F65X. Awesome. I think yeah, it was a giant. Must have been a giant because I got it from Philbrook Sports in Dover. Giant F65 Cross. It was a, it was a cross bike, but I turned it into a gravel bike when I okay when I upgraded. Yeah. And that was a, that was a number of years ago. Well, since that time, now gravel bikes have become a gravel bikes have become a thing, right? So you don't oh, have yeah. to buy a cyclocross bike and then turn it into a gravel bike. You just buy a gravel bike. So right. you have a gravel bike. The 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 Trek checkpoint. So what's the well, difference between the What's the difference the, yeah, what's the difference between the checkpoint and the boom? Okay, so I also have a cycle cross bike. It's my Cannondale Super 6X, um, <laughs> which was my gravel bike, supposed to be my gravel bike. Um, but now it's my trainer bike. So I want it because the difference is, is the tire length, uh, the tire width, right? So my, my cycle cross bike that I have can only get 35 inch tires on there if I'm lucky. Um, but my checkpoint is 40. So you can go, I actually, I think I can even go 45 on them. So they're a little bit wider um, and grippier, obviously more, they feel more stable to me than the really skinny tires. So that's the difference between them. So when you're doing a cycle cross race, um, the skinnier tires would be a better option. So you know, I don't want to put skinnier tires on my checkpoint. I want to leave those as is. It's just easier to grab a new bike instead of changing out the tires and the whole wheel set, right? Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. I, I, I get it. Um, well, I'm just we're trying on to justify why I want another bike. You can, you can, do, you can do whatever you want, Kate. Um, so um, while, while we're on the subject of bikes, before I ask you random question number two, um, yeah, what what, what – what else, what other, what other arrows do you have in your quiver? What, what are the other, what are your other bikes? No, cyclists so like, cyclists like this talk, like, like I know. cyclists tune in, to, tune in, we'll tune into this episode, really listening the entire <laughs> time this. to find out what bikes does she have? Cause really that's what cyclists uh, like to talk about. So what, 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 other, what other bikes do you have? So I have, um, obviously my Cannondale that I've retired to the trainer. So it's just solely on the trainer. I don't take that one off. I have a Parley tri-bike um that i use i'm supposed to be doing some tries um but i don't know if you heard but uh in 2022 um triathlon has opened up to gravel racing gravel tries so i am now doing gravel tries so i have a parley bike that i've only ridden like three times um, so I have that for my tri bike. I also have a fat bike, which I started with. Um, so my fat bike is just, a you know, the, the mode of a cane, it's nothing big. It was just something just to keep me from running, to keep me active. So we bought the mode of a cane, but it has the high end components. So that was the selling point for me, I guess, because I didn't want a bike. Um, but I ended up getting one. So that was the first bike. And now so, you're, so the first bike you got was a, owned was a fat bike. The, yep. Right, was a fat kinda, bike. That's kind of funny. Okay. What, <laughs> Isn't right. that funny? That is and funny, then right? yeah. <laughs> I rode that for four years yeah, right. before yeah. I got my Santa Cruz. Um, so I have a Santa Cruz 5010C. So that's your full suspension rig. That's my full suspension. Your yeah. double squish in cycling my parlance. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely love it. Uh, yeah, so I think so, that's all. Yeah, so I I didn't I didn't hear I didn't hear 
uh, single speed and I didn't hear hardtail in that, in that, uh, in that, uh, that they're on the uh, list, that list of bikes. Okay. All right. So, <laughs> so they're there. like your N, they're like your N plus two plus three. Yes, absolutely. Okay. okay. Well, I, I mean, I will say that, um, uh, so I, I turned, um, um, my original hardtail mountain bike, um, into a single speed a number of oh, years ago. And awesome. it's the, it's the most fun bike I have to ride. I um, I mean, it's, it's like it, it's super not comfortable to ride it because it's, it's a, it's a hardtail. Um, and, uh, so it's, you know, it's not the, it's not the comfiest bike to be on, but it is by far, um, it's by far the most fun bike to ride. Um, and without a doubt, um, it is the most honest bike that I have. Like, in other words, there's, you know, your, your thumb is frantically trying to kind (laughs) of shift the rear derailleur when you're climbing, because you're like, there's no way I, I, I'm going to have, there's no way that I can do. So you you have to get over that frantically Uh. searching for, for the ability to shift into an easier gear with a single speed. Um, but there's no place to hide, which is, which is really what I love about it. And, and, uh, you know, oftentimes in the spring, um, here, you know, where, where I live in New Hampshire in the spring, there'll be a, you know, a period of a, of a couple of weeks could be as long as a month that the trails are just completely horrible. They're just ice and they're no fun to ride. Um, so I end up riding on the road, which I hate riding. I don't, I don't own a road bike, but I do have, uh, this hardtail single speed, that I will ride on the road for a couple of weeks in the spring just to begin to build my fitness and also kind of scratch my, my cycling itch. But um, yeah, I, I have nothing but really good things to say about. Uh, I about want one speeds. of those. Yeah. I have a funny story about a single speed. So yeah, I yeah, was, yeah. I was in the UK um, bike loaded down doing the lands end of John O'Groats. So one tip of England all the way up to Scotland and I'm climbing this hill and I kind of looked off to the side and I saw something in my peripheral and I'm like, am I seeing things at this point? I'm exhausted. And I'm looking and I look behind me and this guy is where I'm climbing, mind you. And this guy is coming up beside me on a single speed. (laughs) 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 And he's like, he stops, you know, like he's pedaling next to me and he's just like, and we're climbing and he's like, where are you going? What are you doing? And talking to me, I'm like, how are you talking? I'm like, I'm dying here. Was he, <laughs> was he, was he, was he total hipster with like a, with oh, like yeah. a cycling cap, like no helmet cycling cap, probably, yep. you know, yep. probably like khaki shorts and, and a button, a button shirt. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Well that, yeah, that's, yeah, uh, that was is, great. that's pretty funny. It was um, funny. And that's, <laughs> he passed uh, me. He's all, you'll yeah. pass me on the downhill. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. But well, well, because he, he, he gets to terminal velocity, uh, much sooner than you do. Cause he kind of runs out of gears, right. At some exactly. point he just has to coast. <laughs> um, okay. Random question. Number two, this, uh, sometimes I, um, I, uh, I ask the, the listening audience for a question and I happen to get a question, uh, from the listening audience. There's a, there's a, a listener, um, who, um, uh, who, heard that you were going to be on the show and had a question for you. So I think I know who this person is. All right. So, so this question is from, this question is from a listener. So um, this question is actually from, from Jim from Madbury. Okay. Now Jim from Madbury uh, wanted me to ask you, okay. Um, 
would you still bring a small sled when winter hiking? <laughs> yes. All right. So, um, okay. Yes. Oh but, my God. But uh, it, so if you would, can you, <laughs> can you tell the, I can't stop laughing. I'm sorry. Can you tell the back? So what's the backstory to that's a very odd question that Jim from Madbury would want to know. <laughs> Um, but I, I suspect there's a story that goes along, along with that. So what's the, uh, what's the backstory to that very unusual question from, from, from uh, Jim. Um, the listener, Jim from Madbury. So the story behind this is we were going to hike Tom Wiley in fields that day. And it was, now those negative. are, those are 4,000 foot mountains, uh, in, in the New white Hampshire. mountains here in New Hampshire. So they're, they are 4,000 plus foot peaks. They're on the. They're on the uh, uh, the the, sh the lower end of the four thousand footers. They're not the most epic hikes, but right. but they're three in close proximity. And so when people hike Tom Field and Willie or Wiley, they tend to do them. Uh, they do tend to do all three in one hike. Yes. Okay. All and right, all right, continue. And it was negative fifteen that day. Negative uh, so fifteen was, Fahrenheit. By the it way, was, it was winter. It was, so it was winter time. It was winter time. All right. Oh, and, and, and the, and the, the air temperature was 15 below, not the wind chill. Right. The, the air, air temperature, temperature was 15 below. Okay. All right. I got it. Good. Setup. And we had a 6am start, which Jim was the <laughs> so first off. This is our first time hiking with him ever. And I say we, I had my uh, two good friends with me, Paul and Christine and Jim was meeting them for the first time and I was meeting Jim for the first time because I had met him through you and had invited him to come along. And so he was first off, not very happy about getting up that early <laughs> to start hiking because it's a two hour ride for us to get up there. So we were starting at six and so that means he had to get up a little early. He likes going to the diner. I found this out later, going to the diner, having breakfast and some coffee and then heading up. He has a routine. He does sure. have a routine and I love it. So he came hiking with us and what we always, what we did is we had sleds um, and they're actually serving as avalanche sleds or even sleds to like, you know, dig in case you're stuck out on the mountain. Um, so that you can have a shelter if you need to, if you get stuck in extreme weather. So you just dig a hole. So we had them, but they also serve as really good butt sleds. <laughs> so you can slide. Butt, butt sled. Butt sled. Yeah. Butt sled. Okay. All right. All right. But, butt sleds. Butt what, sleds. What, what is a, what is a, what is a butt sled? What, so I thought you, you were hiking. What, what, what do you, what, why are you, why are you sliding? So it just covers your butt. That's it. It doesn't cover anything else. And okay. it has a little handle. So you put it between your legs, the handles up, you hold the handle and you lift your feet up and down you go. And it slide back down the trail that you just hiked slide up. down the trail. And oh, it's so it's like, it's fast. like the, an easy, fast way to get back down. It was. And we okay. were all giggling like kids and Jim was watching us and I was like, come on, have a try. And it took him a few and he finally tried it and he was giggling like a little kid too. So he was hooked after that too. So yeah, we, we figured the reason why we went there was because of the butt sledding is epic there. They have some really good spots. So that's why we had, um, we had taken him there and got him to do the butt sleds. <laughs> now as he, so 
um, when he, when he, when he, when he gave me this question, I said, well, I, you, you need to give me the backstory because I, I have, I have no context. I want to make sure she's an answering correctly. Um, and so, and so his, so his backstory was, so this is what he, so he texted me, he texted this to me. He said, so I said, I texted him, what's the quick backstory? He texts me back. First hike we went on, uh, she uh, uses a piece of plastic that she used to descend. And my dad kind of texts in middle, so you, you got to, anyway. Yep. So I kind of got the idea from that, that it was a small piece of plastic that she butt slid on. Then he said, years later, she was instrumental in saving a man with a broken ankle who had broken his ankle sliding on his, on his butt. So, yeah. so please to tell the rest of that story. Okay. So I think I can't remember. I mean, we had been hiking for a while together at that point when that one happened. Um, and we were with Kenny Young, who he brought up too in his story when he was here as a guest, um, Kenny Young was a gentleman that your son, Braden, and your father, Jim, and I hiked with on a regular basis. So we were all out hiking and Braden wasn't with us that day. Um, but we were hiking and we Win met up winter, with, winter hiking again, winter hiking. Yes. Yeah. I couldn't do any, any, um, other kind of hiking because I'm allergic to bees. And so I wouldn't do anything other than winter. Um, so we were winter hiking. We met these three guys and Kenny who was hiking with us had a similar, um, hiking experience on Kilimanjaro with one of the other gentlemen. So they were talking about it because Kenny had just come back from um, Kilimanjaro. So they were talking about that. And um, so we decided to go down with them. Well, this one gentleman um, started to go down on his butt without a sled, but it was just his butt on his slippery um, gear that he had, our, those snow pants, and he had his crampons on. And I told him, um, and they're mountaineering snowshoes is what he had on actually, not just regular crampons. It was his mountaineering MRS with teeth on the outside, crampons on the bottom of your feet. And I told him, I was like, you need to take those off before you do that. And he's like, oh, I'll be fine. I'll just control myself. Um, not a big deal. So he takes off and we heard the scream and I was the first one in line because we're all in a line and he went down first and then I was going down behind him walking and I heard the scream and got to him and um and then that was just the longest day of our lives at that point that happened like at noon time and we didn't get off the mountain until one o'clock in the evening like one o'clock in the morning um but I remember Jim your father pulling me aside he goes I don't ever want to mess with you <laughs> It's like, I never want to get on the wrong side of you because a lot of things were going on. And I was just like, okay, you know, like I put my foot down and said, okay, don't take his boot off. Don't do this. Start the fire. You know, like I was just getting everybody in order because they didn't know what to do at this point. Somebody wanted to take his boot off and set his foot. I mean, it was just, I was like, don't touch it. Don't give him anything because then he won't be able to go to the hospital that he wants to go to, which was a good thing because his wife worked at Concord Hospital and that's where he wanted to go. So thankfully, uh, but that was 
quite a rescue that we had to do. All of us had to do on that one. That was yeah, quite. You got, and you guys, my recollection of it, just hearing the story, you were you were several miles from the trailhead. It wasn't like you were almost out. You were you were several miles in. I hiked, I think I hiked that mountain because there's three. We went for the tri pyramids, so there's three, and and on the third one going down on the waterfalls, and well it was before the waterfalls that it happened. We were probably not even a quarter of a mile down from the peak. And um, so I had to run all the way out to get cell service to call. Um, and we got the Rangers and all of that. I mean, they did, it was, and move everybody's cars closer to the parking lot because we were a mile away. Then I had to go back up. I met the Ranger on the way down, the, you know, for the search, the search and rescue people. I mean, it was, yeah. It was did you guys, nice. did you guys help with the carry out? Yeah. Um, we all had to, and a couple of people were falling through the ice. Um, it was cause we had to go over the waterfalls. Yeah. It was, we all kind of took turns doing that. Yeah. Um, was there, was there ever a time in which, um, there was, uh, uh, there was a possibility that, that any of the rescuers might've turned into victims and like another way, cause you guys yeah. have been out there. <laughs> it was, long time. That was a long, that was a long day. How did it was a long day? Yeah. Did, did, the, yeah. Was we it, were was all there, concerned was there ever, about yeah, hypothermia. Any, any concern about that? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Cause of food. Right. Um, so giving this gentleman food and water to keep, cause he was in shock kind of thing. Um, but all of us too, keeping out, keeping out for each other, like asking people if they needed food, water, that kind of thing. Um, there was question. I, I do remember I was like, okay, I can run to the store because the store, <laughs> we're out in the middle of nowhere. The store, we were on the kink. The store was not very close. I was willing to go get food and bring it back in for everybody. Um, you know, that those are what we were all willing to pitch in and help in mm. that kind of aspect. Yeah. Did you, did you say that the guy was hiking with someone else or two he was hiking people. alone? He was hiking with two other people. All right, so he, all right, so he, he had a, he had a hiking party. Well, it's yeah. a, it's a great story. My dad, um, uh, my dad does tell that story often. Okay, last, <laughs> last random question uh, for, for, for Kate Willett. So, um, uh, I have a time machine. Mm -hmm. Okay, and I'm willing to give you a free ride. Okay, after that, you're gonna have to pay for it. But I'm, I'm willing to give you the first <laughs> ride for free. Okay. Okay. All right. So, but here's the deal. Um, you can either spend three seconds in the future or you can spend three hours in the past. Where are you going and why? Well, I think the because I'm supposed to answer as it comes, the first thing that came to mind was going back to the Highlands in Scotland. I mean, and I think that was just because I just got back from it the summer. I have never felt so close to nature as I had at that moment in time. Beautiful. Um, breathtaking. Um, to see all the wildlife that is free roaming, like all the sheep, all the stag, the cows. And it's so desolate. There's, you don't see a whole lot of people up there when you're in the highlands. And, um, I looked at my Strava that day and I literally climbed for 40 miles. Did, didn't know. 
<laughs> but it felt like I'd been climbing for a while. But I was in such awe of the beauty. I had no idea that I was, it was straight up the whole time. Um, it was gorgeous. I, I would, I would spend, I would want to go back and spend more time there. I, cause it was just cycle up over, you know, and, and continue on to get to the next spot for the evening. Um, but that I would love to go there and spend three hours there. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a, that story is a great example of the, you know, the, of the adage that, um, effort follows attitude, right? So that when you're in an amazingly beautiful place and you're, you're engaged in the environment and it's a very, it's a very uplifting feeling. Yeah. The effort feels infinitely easier than if you had a sour disposition, right? Um, Absolutely. Uh, that's a, I think that's a, that's a great example of that. Well, Kate, I really appreciate you, uh, you sharing your story. Thank, Thank you, you for joining me. Thank you for having me on, Chris. I appreciate that. And it's never easy to talk about the story, the path. Um, I think we're better off telling stories of other people, but when it comes to ourselves, it's the hardest things, but I, I really, truly appreciate you letting me do that. Well, you, you have a great story um, and an important story, and uh, I'm, I'm glad you had an opportunity to tell it. Thank you. Thank you. The art and practice of deconstruction is such a great concept for anyone faced with a seemingly insurmountable challenge. I think Kate's experience is a living example of that. She truly is amazing, and I'm so grateful to know her. Once again, you've been listening to the Eat Half Walk Double podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please circle back to the homepage and click the follow or subscribe button to stay up to date with all the new content. And of course, if you really enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your friends. I'll be posting some supporting media on my Twitter account at Coach Chris J. Dunn and the show's Facebook page at Eat Half Walk Double. So make sure to check that out. And lastly, remember, the secret to living well and longer is to eat half, walk double, laugh triple, and love without measure. Until next time.